Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. And he swings. Hits it high. And deep. And gone. Still going back. Another day, another 20 prospects. It's the call-up. I'm Aram Layton. He's Jack McMullen, and we've got prospects number 60 to 41 as we continue to truck through this Just Baseball Top 100 prospect update. Jack, your minor league season's officially over. We're pivoting now to Arizona Fall League and playoff baseball. How you feeling post-indie season? I feel well-rested. I do. I, I think there's more... Uh, sleep to go to to get all the way back to where I want to be in my life. But you know what? I I operate at a sleep deficit for six months of the year. I'm on the the grind back, and I feel really good. I feel better than I have I think since March. Congrats on the grind. That is electric. Uh, I know it was a long season for you. Uh, a fun one. You got to see a lot of really good talent, and we're going to talk about some of those guys you saw. Uh, we already have, but we're going to talk about more of some of those that maybe have crossed your path in Indy uh, in the AAA ranks. But again, every time we talk about it, we're another 20 percent closer to the top prospect. Right. So it's always going to get better and better as we go through these guys and through each of these prospects. And uh, very much excited to go through all of these names here, because I would say in the middle range is where some of the toughest decisions were made. Uh, but I also think we have a lot of you know, hot takes or, or more unique perspectives on prospects as we get towards the top. So that should be pretty fun as well. A couple quick notes before we jump into it. Arizona Fall League underway. A reminder yeah. that if you are, you know, maybe just discovering this episode or just kind of re-jumping into the podcast because we're talking top 100, which I wouldn't blame you. I mean, that's a, it's a big buzzword that people get excited about. We did do an Arizona Fall League breakdown a few episodes ago, kind of just giving you a primer on everything you need to know about every player that's there of of prospect relevance or even moderate prospect relevance it's a loaded loaded fall league we already started jordan waller already went yard uh we already saw aaron zavala go yard we've seen a lot of uh really talented prospects get off to great starts so far uh and everything you need to know is kind of in that primer but we'll be covering it as we go through the through the season here yeah, I am very excited for you to get out to the Arizona Fall League. Yeah. I think that's going to be great. I don't think I can join you, um, mm. but I'm sorry to say. You're breaking uh, that to be, me on the podcast, huh? I am breaking that to you on the podcast. Uh, what I will say is I'm going to I'm gonna stay here. I'm going to batten down the hatches and put out so much freaking postseason content. Your head's going to be spinning. <laughs> now, and I'm excited to uh, kind of report back to you. We'll hop on the on these Zoom calls are on these stream yards and talk about what I've seen from the Arizona Fall League because there's going to be a lot of really fun takeaways, a lot of access, a lot of up close looks at 
some of the better hitting prospects and pitching prospects, mostly mo- mostly bat heavy in the fall league, though, in all of baseball. So uh, we'll start with number 60, who's a guy that really put himself on the map with his Arizona fall league performance last year. And that's Owen White. And again, yeah. you can follow along with us uh, on the audio version. The link to this top 100 is in the podcast description. But, you know, of course, if you're on YouTube, you're going to see us kind of flying through this here uh, and talking about each of these prospects. So uh, starting with Owen White here, I mean, Owen White, what he did in the fall league after missing a significant amount of time uh, with different arm issues. And then the 2020 miss season, this isn't a guy that came out of nowhere, right? Texas Rangers, second round pick 55th overall in 2018. And I mean, he, he was well regarded, but we didn't see him for multiple years. And you quickly forget about a second round pick when you don't see him for a while. He came out looking great in the fall league and then followed that up. He was the best pitcher in the fall league, then followed that up with a really good season this past year. What I love most about white is the four pitch mix and the fact that he already has command of this four pitch mix. The stuff is really good. The fastball is plus easily with a little bit room for more, but I I just really like that you have four different pitches from white that he can go to and he commands them all really well. This guy, I think is one of the most underrated pitching prospects in baseball. I really do. Yeah. He, he, when he's on the mound, he's been great. The problem is Owen white just hasn't been on the mound too much in his professional career uh, as a 21 year old, again, second round pick, like you mentioned, that was not a high school, right? A white at yeah. a, at a high school in North Carolina. That was 2018. So he, he makes his professional debut in 2021 as a 21 year old. Um, yeah. This is a guy that has been around forever, right? In terms of prospect conversation, if you're a second round pick in 2018, you've been around for a really long time at this point. And so far, uh, he's thrown 115 and two thirds innings in his professional career. He was drafted in 2018. So that's the big question. Absolutely. And, and, and I think he took a big step this year in answering that question by throwing 80 innings. Um, I know it's not the biggest workload in the world, but you know, to see him throw those 80 innings, I think is extremely encouraging. 104 punch outs in those 80 innings, only 23 walks. Again, it's the command that's really impressive. Slider is disgusting. It's a fastball slider combination that you can really trust, that you can really lean on. And then he mixes in a, a changeup that's above average and a curveball that's average to steal strikes. That sounds like a number three starter to me through and through. Like you said, Jack, I think it's really about health. He's one of the safer arms you're going to find in the minor leagues. I'd put a high level of confidence of him being a number three or number four starter, assuming health is is you know there for him. Big assumption, we can't project health. All I can project is what's in front of me. He took a big step in the health department this year. And in terms of pitching, it's pretty hard to de- de- deny what he did. Yeah, hundred percent, man. Um, I what I like about him is, you know, he's not overwhelming with the punch outs. And, and yeah, like he was eleven and a half, but he doesn't have to be. And I think the Arizona no. Fall League last year was a great indicator of that. Twenty nine punch outs in twenty eight and a third innings. He walked more guys than you would hope to see, but he kept the ball away from barrels, which is very exciting. And that's pitching as an art form personified. Keeping the ball away from barrels, he induces a ton of soft contact. And then follow that up this year with the walk rate dropping to 6.8%. And you talk about the weak contact, 45% ground ball rate. It's pretty solid. You combine a high strikeout rate, decent amount of ground balls. He he does a little bit of everything. The slider is a ground ball machine. He commands it extremely, extremely well. And and that pitch is really good for him. So Owen White's a name to watch. I I think he could easily fly up the ranks uh, as we see him maybe get off to a good start next year. He finished the year in double A. He'll probably start next year in triple and be able to rise relatively quickly. 
Yeah. We'll get to number 59, who uh, this is a guy, that, again, now talk about prospect that's been around forever. Oswald Peraza, I feel like we've been hearing about forever, but he's still extremely young. But the New York Yankees got up, got a chance at the big league level. I think it's shown some really good things. I think Peraza, if we're talking about safe, we're in the safe range here prospect-wise. Peraza is another extremely safe prospect. Turned 22 three months ago, Jack, and already has a big league debut under his belt. Looked really strong in his 15 games. You look at what he did with the Yankees in those 15 games. 333, 422, 410 slash line. The question is how much power is there? I mean, that is definitely a question. He did hit 19 home runs in 99 games in AAA, and he didn't have one home run in those 15 games in the big league. So I think even if he's a 10 to 15 home run guy, it's going to be fine because the glove is darn near elite at shortstop. He's a plus runner. So 33 bags on 38 tries this year in AAA. And the field of hit is impressive. I know the batting average bit lower than you'd like to see, but I think he had a little bit of bad batted ball luck, shook off a slow start. I think he's a comfortably above average hitter uh, with at least average power and all of the complementary tools that you'd want. It's really hard to hit as a 22-year-old in AAA. Even the best 22-year-old hitters are, are going to struggle in AAA. And, and he was 21 to start the year. Yeah, like so if a 21-year-old in AAA is hitting 260 in 99 games – I call that call that 300 for a 24 year old. You know what I mean? I mean, he's so far ahead of the curve with what he does. You mentioned defensively. Um, You mentioned the the running ability and he only got caught five times. I call him a plus base runner. It feels like the game works slowly for him, which I really appreciate. And I mean, the way he, you talk about the game working slowly, the way he makes that transition straight to the big leagues and in a big spot, you know, it was like, who the heck are we going to call up? Every Yankee fan is complaining about Kiner Falefa and, you know, Glaber points and whoever. And Peraza stepped up and, and was able to fill in when they needed him to. I still think that there's more power in there than maybe he gets credit for. He just hasn't totally tapped into it yet. Again, we're talking about a 21 year old here that is still getting his feet under him in AAA, and we saw 19 homers there. So uh, I'm expecting him to be an above-average shortstop at the big league level. I think the glove will give him a high floor in that regard, but I think the bat is no slouch. It's going to be interesting to see what they decide to do, the Yankees, that is, because obviously Volpe is your franchise cornerstone, and that is a guy that, you know, face of the franchise shortstop you're hoping he's going to be – He's a good he's a good shortstop. We'll talk about about Volpe and his defense. It's good because his instincts are so good. But Peraza is is a potential gold glove candidate. So it, it's very interesting to see how they're going to try to navigate that because obviously Volpe, get, you, you put him at shortstop and you say that's your franchise guy, uh, kind of like we saw with Derek Jeter in the A Rod situation. Not nearly con- comparing it to that, but Peraza is such a good defender. I do wonder if it's almost like best use to trade him because he should be playing shortstop every day with how good he is with the glove. I can't emphasize that enough. He he would get a great return for them. Um, what I would say is you have a fantastic young player and a top 60 prospect in all the baseball here. See if he can fit into your future plans. Just give mm-hmm. it a whirl. And if Brian Cashman sees no world in which Oswald Peraza is in the world series lineup in 2025, then move him and, and go get more pitching or or go get, you know, a, a speedy outfielder or something like he can get you whatever you want as a headliner yeah. of a package. And I think he's just about big league ready. So it should be interesting to see how the Yankees decide to, to navigate this one with Peraza. If he plays second, he might be the best defender in all of baseball. Yeah. Uh, we, we go to number 50. 
eight here and talk about a great defending shortstop. I stacked these guys for a reason. Bryce Turing checks in at 58 from the Milwaukee Brewers. And we talked about him when we broke down the Brewers system, Jack. Um, and he's somebody that I used to be like, uh, I don't, you know, not very excited about this guy. Not very excited about this guy. But if there's one write-up, I hope people really take the time to read in this top 100 list. It, it might be Bryce Turing because Turing, I really, I spent maybe multiple hours on this write-up just because I was so fascinated by his his changes in the box, the adjustments that he's made as a hitter to tap into some more consistent power to just be a more consistent overall hitter. And then, of course, we're still seeing all those other tools just make themselves very evident. If you notice something about his scouting write-up compared to the other ones, you notice that all of the grades are already where they are, like where they the future projection would be. For example, 55 present hit tool, 55 future. 50 raw power, 50 uh, present as well. Uh, 50 future game, or excuse me, 40 future game power, 40 present. And it goes so on and so forth with the speed and the fielding. It's because he's already tapped into everything here. Yeah. He is already pretty much showing us what kind of player he can be. Is it going to be an MVP candidate? No, uh, but he is one of the safest bets to be an above average regular at the shortstop position, or at least an average regular that I've seen. You talk about the, the speed and the efficiency on the bases, 34 of 36 on stolen base attempts. Yeah. You talk about the added power. He was somebody that was borderline slap hitter, 13 home runs this season, and a career high in doubles. Uh, we talk about finding that more consistency at the plate. He's, his strikeout rate's as low as we've seen it. So uh, this is somebody that, and again, defensively, he's a wizard. I'm a huge Bryce Turing fan. I think he's one of the safest bets to be an everyday shortstop. So Bryce Turing was on a team that was as veteran as you could possibly find for the majority of the year in Nashville. And and Sal Freelick got a late bump. Joey Weimer got a late bump. Um, Esther Ruiz, once he was acquired, got some time in Nashville. But Turing was in Nashville for the entire year in his age 22 season. And he was in a lineup that featured guys like um, John Singleton and yeah. Abraham Almonte and David Dahl. And this was a Nashville team that finished a game away from winning the International League Championship in Vegas. No surprise. And, and when I saw Tarang play for an entire week nonstop, you know, what, what jumped out to me was this is a 22-year-old that looks like one of these generic 30-year-olds in, yeah. in AAA. Like, that's just kind of who he is. There is nothing that screams projectable about Bryce Tarang. Everything screams He's a finished product and the yep. finished product is really good. Now that yeah. can be perceived as a very bad thing that, you know, he's a finished product at age 22. Like how much more can you dream on? I'll tell you what you have in front of you is very damn good. And yeah, he's one of those like lower ceilings compared to a lot of guys in the top 100, but one of the highest floors, it feels very McLean here feels very Spencer steer here. A hundred percent. And then on top of that, you're adding, you know, a glove that will be an above average glove at shortstop right away. And I think borderline plus, uh, I think prospect wise, it's plus when he gets to the big leagues, I think he's going to be a borderline plus defender right off the bat. I was floored at his range, uh, his ability to make all the different throws from different arm angles, uh, the way that even when they were shifting him out of position, he was still covering a ton of ground and making impressive plays. And the last thing I'll say on him is 
I, the very tangible swing adjustments. When, whenever you see the uptick in power, right? We saw the exit velos jump a little bit. We saw him more consistently drive the ball in the air. There's sneaky, at least average or slightly above average pull side power that we've started to see where he's flashed some solid exit velos of, you know, 107, 108, which we never really saw from him before. You saw the setup change. He adjusted where his hands were. He widened out his stance. He got more in his base, and it didn't compromise his, his ability to just put bat on ball. So when you have an 87, 88% zone contact guy that's now tapped into more power, his exit velos are at least above average. It's pretty hard to not like this guy, and the approach is phenomenal as well. He is just, I, and I hate it, I think it's overused, but he really is just a ball player and a well-rounded ball player. Yes. And, you know, you can hate it and you can reserve it for a certain number of people. And, you know, say you want to cap the number of pure ball players you yeah. want to talk about at 10. He's one of the first. Bryce Terang is certainly within 10, whether they be in, in the major leagues or in the minor leagues. Absolutely. Get to 57. Mick Abel, right handed pitching prospect with the Philadelphia Phillies. And I mean, Abel is, is, is a very exciting, high ceiling name, right? This is a, a bit of the opposite if we're talking about profile. And this is why I love these top 100 lists. We're talking about a guy that's guaranteed big leaguer, really safe. And now we're at Mick Abel, a 6'5", 200-pound right-hander who just turned 21 years old, has electric stuff, but you know maybe a little bit of a wider range of outcomes. So I will say what he has started to show and be able to do against older competition is extremely encouraging. Fastball averages 96 miles an hour. Slider in the mid-80s is nasty. He's already starting to mix in a changeup as well. And his curveball is, his, is kind of a strike stealer kind of pitch. But you got two big league plus pitches, a changeup that's already flashing at least average or above average. There's a lot to like with Mick Abel here. And, uh, you know, Andrew Painter surpassed him because Andrew Painter's an alien and we'll get to him in, in an episode or two. Uh, but Mick Abel, I mean, that's this is a very good number two pitching prospect to have. I'd say one of the best number two pitching prospects to have, which is great for the Phillies, given where their system was recently. They kind of function like they do at the big league level, right? You've got you've got Wheeler and Nola, and then yeah. there's a massive drop off. You got Painter and Abel, and then there's a massive drop off here. But it's it's kind of nice to have two bona fide studs uh, at the top of your rotation and two bona fide studs at the top of your farm system especially with no Logan O'Hoppy in the fold anymore. But yeah, I mean, Abel, what impressed me about Abel this year was the innings accumulation. Like he was, he was given the opportunity to go out there and log innings and he was, you know, well over a hundred innings this year. Uh, you don't see very many people in their age 20 season go north of a hundred innings, but Abel did that uh, and he thrived while doing so. Yeah, you know, they took the training wheels off. We talk about Tank Hentz and, and some of these other, any Dodgers pitcher ever. Um, yeah, training you know, wheels were on, man. Yeah, the training wheels are on. Not, not the case with Abel. And what, what I like about that, Jack, is, is you, and I know you're more of a, the mechanical nerd when it comes to pitching. Abel is just an athlete on the mound. He's 6'5", but he's a good athlete. The question is the command. 35 present, 50 future. Uh, I have 50 future because he's an athlete. And I think he was able to, to handle the workload which was you know, over 100 innings this year because he's an athlete. But the walk rate's too high at this point. And, and I, I'm curious, I mean, at 10.6%, how concerned are you about that for a guy that really was 20 years old the entire season and pitched between high A and double A, and the numbers were still pretty solid overall? You expect that walk rate to, to normalize a bit or, or at least improve next year? 
Yeah, I mean, to be totally honest, I'm not concerned in the slightest. Like, th- there are some other guys where I am concerned if they if they compile like they do. But Mick Abel's not the type of arm that's going to walk four guys in a row. Like he yeah. never gets out of himself like that. Um, I, I think he's the type that relies on so much athleticism in his delivery, where if he finds himself missing, he can turn his mechanical brain on and say, okay, let me get closed quicker or, or let me stay true to the plate better. Um, he, here's my thing about athletics versus mechanics. I think that the best pitchers in baseball have this perfect blend of both. And there are high school pitchers with a five ERA in Connecticut that have really good mechanics. You can teach anybody really good mechanics. Yeah. When I was a high school pitcher hitting 80 on my best day, I had really good mechanics. Yeah. That does not matter. The Phillies are not looking at me if I have really good mechanics. What they look at are the freak athletes where they hope that they can tap into more mechanical understanding. And that's exactly what I think Mick Abel is doing here. You need athleticism to be a professional pitcher. You need a combination of athleticism and mechanically sound uh, technique to be one of the top pitching prospects in baseball. And I think Mick can do both of those. And I mean, sneaky six, five, right. And, and we talk about how hard it is to control all of those long levers as a young pitcher when you're six foot five, I, yeah. that's something that I think he'll continue to, to get more comfortable with. And I think he hit the nail on the head there. A name definitely that, I mean, if, if he gets off to a hot start, I assume he, he starts in double a again next year. If he gets off to a hot start in double, we're, we're seeing him probably shoot up with as much helium as any, pitching prospects really in baseball because we already know that the talent's there it's just can he put it together enough and he was just on the cusp of doing that this year yeah we'll get to number 56 here and this is one of my favorite guys in baseball name wise swagger wise and also just the way he handles the bat Adel Amador shortstop prospect Colorado Rockies we've talked about him on here a little bit um this kid is awesome. Uh, we, we made a uh, eBay TikTok for him, and I'm going to mention his his cards prices as well because I still think it's a great buy. And I, it's, it's a guy, he's, his cards are definitely one that I've scooped up. The prices have gone up, so I wouldn't say, you know, buy a ton, uh, but I still think it's a pretty good purchase. But before we get to that, like Amador is a really well-rounded baseball player that just continues to hit ahead of his years. And I don't know what the Rockies are doing because we know they're not very analytically driven. We know that they you know, do things a bit differently. They keep finding these guys. We talk about Tovar. Amador looks like he's kind of cut from the same cloth. Doesn't quite have the defensive, uh, I would say, incredible gold glove ceiling that Tovar has. He might move to second base where then he could potentially be a gold glover, but he's a good defender at shortstop. The bat's what stands out, though. We're talking about a switch hitter who in low A this year as an 18-year-old for a good portion of the season, hit 292, 415, 445 with 15 pumps, 26 stolen bases, and he walked more than he struck out, Jack. 12% K rate, 16% walk rate. You can't you can't like an offensive profile more than that. This dude doesn't strike out. <laughs> like I I love his offensive profile and I I don't want to say he's safe because he's 19 years old and he did it playing on the moon in Spokane, but um, Amador, like what he does with the bat is as surefire quick climber as you're going to find in a teenager in minor league baseball. Like he is um, the, the only thing that concerns me is he got caught a lot on the base paths. Like that's that's the only thing. 
I'm would, fine with the teenager being crazy aggressive. Yeah, and I would say, you know, I don't think he's he's going to be a a 30 bad guy. I'm glad you brought that up. I, I, I was looking more at the run, and I see a 55 runner more than a 60 runner. So I mean, that's a guy that could still swipe 20 bags efficiently. But it's not someone that can run every single time like a Siri Ruiz and feel like they're going to get it every time, right? You got to pick your spots if you're not a plus runner or even like a Touring level runner. We, we see he's super fast and picks his spots well. Amador will get there, but you're right. I mean, getting caught 12 times on what what was it? Th- uh, 26 stolen bases caught 12 times. Was that what the breakdown was? Um, 26 you know, that, stolen bases caught 12 times. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, that that's not going to fly. But, you know, you look at the rest of his game. You talk about the moon. And I think that's that's an interesting aspect of this here because he did hit 15 home runs. And I think he does have some room to physically fill out still and tap into more power. His exit velos are average uh, for the most part. What really stands out to me is the hit tool. 90% zone contact this season as a switch hitter is phenomenal. Uh, you look at the left side and the right side, pretty consistent. Left side, 815 OPS. Right side, 861 OPS. Like, this guy was pretty c- consistent all year long. My question is, how much do you think that that power was aided in low A in Spokane when we're talking about a guy with above average power, good feel to hit, did hit the ball on the ground a bit. So like, I, I am wondering if we're going to see a power tick down in high A potentially next year. Yeah, I guess my question is, does it matter? Because you, you think about the club that he's going to debut with and, and you mm-hmm. think about that ballpark that he's going to call his home ballpark. So, yeah, no, I guess it doesn't matter. If he's sitting in this environment with power, you'll hit in that environment with power. Yeah, my thing is like, if he's 19 and he's playing all of his games in, in thinner air, um, when he's 24 and he's playing half of his games in thin air, I, I think that he's going to fill out enough to keep that 15 homer mark as a 19-year-old, around 15 homers when he gets up to the major league level. I yeah. I don't... And I so think many that, doubles. So many doubles. So many doubles. So many doubles. I think that as you see this guy physically mature, it's going to hedge the environment getting tougher. It, it's funny, too, because it's a great point. Last thing we'll say on Amador and is... When, when you talk about how how spacious it is at Coors Field and he is going to be a plus, maybe even better than plus hit tool guy because switch hitter with 90% zone contact already, like that's something that environment, it doesn't freaking matter. Zone contact is zone contact. If he can spray the ball and we know that he's not a slap hitter, right? He at least has average power uh, at the very, very least with, with a plus field to hit. He's going to be just wearing out those gaps and have plenty of doubles. I like those kinds of guys for the Rockies. We know they're going to find their CJ Crones. It's not hard to find those types of dudes. No, not at all. Finding the plus hit tool guy that's going to switch hit and, and be your number two hitter, you know, kind of like Tovar with a little – Tovar obviously has more power and a little bit more dynamic ability to him. That's why he's way up higher. Yeah. I, I love having these guys in your system. And Amador, you talk about you know relatively safe. We can't say a guy has a fully, fully safe profile in low A, but we can only evaluate him on what he's done and – if you look at low A hitters, there's very few guys that have 90% zone contact, especially as switch hitters, and at least are flashing average exit velos. That's why I think his card's a good purchase, too, on eBay at $51. His Bowman Chrome Auto is, is when we talked about Tovar at one point was that cheap. His has gone way up. I think Tovar is obviously has a way higher ceiling, but Amador could be one of the more sneaky, good offensive second baseman in baseball if he ends up moving to second there. Uh, and at $50 for his Bowman Chrome Auto on eBay, I'm, I'm 
I've scooped up a few. I will scoop up some more. Well, I, what I will say is, is think about how often we said Jose Iglesias's name on the Just Baseball show this year, right? Like we said Jose Iglesias's name far more than we would if he was playing in any other environment. Oh, Adel Amador will be an objectively better hitter at the major league level than Jose Iglesias. So if, if we're singing his praises, a bat to ball guy at Coors Field is a dream come true. They're going to have two of them in Tovar and Amador. And, and both of them. Significantly more impact than Jose Iglesias. That's a that's a great point there. Fifty five, Harry Ford, catching prospect with the Seattle Mariners, and oh man, I I love Harry Ford. We talk about the catching curse, you know, the the high school catcher's curse. Don't draft a high school catcher; they never pan out. Blah blah blah. I get it. The track record speaks for itself. Harry Ford was the exception to that because you can really fall back on him being a center fielder. <laughs> like, imagine drafting a catcher so athletic that if it doesn't work out behind the dish, you can fall back on him being a center fielder. Uh, I think it's going to work out behind the dish. I've been really impressed with the improvements that he's made. He's one of the best defensive or, or excuse me, at most athletic catching prospects we've seen maybe ever. Yeah. And we're seeing him already make improvements back there. But how about the bat? He had a really good offensive season this year. And Ford was one of my favorite guys in the draft. I, I thought he was one of the steals of the draft in 2021. And, I mean, he's off to a great start so far. He's from Atlanta. I need to know why he qualifies to play for Great Britain in the World Baseball Classic. He's a Got citizen. He's a dual citizen. That's all I know. He's a dual citizen. I was just thinking because his name is Harry. Like, maybe, like, that's a British <laughs> enough name where they were like, yeah, you know what? Let's do it. Um No, I mean, he's a freak, dude. And and the biggest thing for me is not only does he steal bags, not only does he hit a billion doubles, he walks constantly. I mean, he hit what, like 270-ish, but he had about a 150-point jump in batting average to OBP. Hit 274 in 104 games with Modesto with a 425 on base. Yeah. 14% chase rate. 14% If you don't swing and you run that well as a catcher, there's a spot for you in center field. (laughs) I mean, I I think I look at him, I think Dalton Varshaw, right? I mean, do you not just see Dalton Varshaw written all over the sky with with obviously higher upside? But I mean, Varshaw keeps getting better every time we check in. So I don't want to I don't want to cap Varshaw either. He's still young. But do you not see like just shades of Dalton Varshaw here? I see Varshaw. I see exactly what we wanted from Dylan Dingler last year. Yeah. Yeah, in more athletic, which is crazy to say. Yeah, uh, like Varsho's sneaky, one of the faster guys you're going to see, and and an above average defender in the outfield. I think Ford could easily be that if they want him to be. He did play majority of his get a majority of his action in you know behind the dish, uh, but you talk about the patience at the plate. Uh, there's a little bit of whiff there, as it, there are for many teenage guys that go straight to low A. But 11 home runs to, to already see some of that power shining through to get on base at a 425 clip 23% K rate is, is more than respectable when you're walking at an 18% clip and getting deep into a lot of counts. I'm a huge Harry Ford fan. Talk about another guy we're, we're in that range of dudes where if they have a good start next year, you could see them skyrocket. What's crazy is I'm not going to recommend purchasing his card because generally catchers, their Bowman Chromatos go for way cheaper not Harry Ford. I, I was just looking at one of his just sold his base autographed card sold for $265. So oh my say, suffice it to say, people are very excited about Harry Ford as they should be. Uh, but yeah, I don't know if I'd, I'd buy that one on eBay right now. I don't know about that. Um, but 
definitely a and I and I own a couple. I'm going to sell them probably, uh, but definitely a prospect I'm very excited about. And Harry Ford. How about? Another player that unfortunately has fallen a little bit due to injury, and I'm sure you're going to have a lot of of good thoughts on Brennan Davis. <laughs> We're talking about baseball card investments. I'll be fully transparent about this one when we get to that part of this discussion here. Brennan Davis, outfield prospect, Chicago Cubs. Everybody needs to buy all of his cards to make his market go up. No, yeah. but aside from that, I mean – so happy to see Davis come back at the end of this year. Um, I was worried that we might have lost him for the whole season due to that back injury. Now he's back in the fall league, so we're going to see him get some action there. Brendan Davis was trending his way to being one of the best overall prospects in baseball with the Chicago Cubs. And then, of course, you know, went down with that injury early this year. I think he was trying to play through it in the early part, so we saw him really struggle and triple and then you know, ultimately uh, missed a majority of the season. This guy was so freaking good last year. I, I had been singing his praises from the beginning of the year. I said, don't sleep on this guy. Watch him, watch him, watch him. And he exceeded even my wildest expectations. Lost year for him. But he climbed so quickly and was able to get himself in such a good position so early that he could afford to lose a year here. And he's somebody that's a no-brainer, will be added to the 40-man roster, needs to be protected from the Rule 5 this year. And we're talking about you know somebody that looked like Rihanna Matt Kemp potentially yeah. uh, when when we were saw when we saw him doing what he was doing uh, last year. How do you feel about Brendan at this point? Again, we we don't really speculate on injuries. We're not going to do that. We're not doctors. But how do you feel about Brendan as a whole with this lost season and trying to get back to to where he was? Well, I've read a couple articles, so I think I am close to a doctor. Okay, um, there we go. That's that's all you need. Yeah, where, I'm sure your girlfriend will love that you said that. Who's deep into med school, right? Yeah, no, I mean, listen, she is going the mainstream route. Um, she's going the tired route. I'm going the wired route where yeah, I read a couple of educating. Yeah, self-educating. Um, so, yeah, I feel pretty good about my medical expertise. But no, man, I my worry when I see tall guy dealing with lower back issue with that type of swing is. Brewers outfielder. Oh, Stop. I know that's so no, you're right. No, like, you're, you're right. Yelich. You're right. It, it's you're nightmare right. scenario with, with a guy that, that relies on generating torque and momentum so much in the swing that like is, is beautiful. Like his swing is a full body swing. It's not point A to point B, like, like a Mervis, right. Or like uh, some of these other guys in the system that are a little bit more thick cut. Like even though he's six four two twenty, good athlete, build. man, he's an athlete. Yeah, he's a lean athlete. Lean athletes use the entirety of their body, and and that's what worries me about the lower back. Now, he took a lot of time off. He had surgery. He came back. He looked good. Um, if he feels right, and I think that a lot of these guys who deal with lower back things are pretty honest when they're like, I just don't feel right. If he truly feels right, I'm not concerned at all. If he doesn't feel right, I'm worried that this is going to nag him for the next couple of years, at least. And I'll be honest, man. I'm, I'm definitely a little concerned. Um, it, you, you talk about how it can sap the power and I, I don't want to draw too much from our sample that we have here of 55 games this year from him, because ultimately, you know, he might've been just saying like, Hey, I just want to see pitches. I don't really care about the results when I come back, you know, I'm not going to swing out of my shoes. I'm just going to focus back the ball and, there might've been no expectation of really producing at the end of the year when he came back from this injury. I have no idea. And I'm hoping actually to sit down with him in Arizona. I'm very much hoping to, to just talk to him about this because 
I'm, I'm very interested to see where he's at physically, you know, and I'm not expecting him to say, Oh no, no, it was really bothering me at the end of the year. But like, what were his goals when he came back? Was he expecting to kind of try to go right back to being Brennan? Probably not. You know, maybe he was just trying to see pitches, put bat on ball, get his timing back. And it's not like riding a bike. We know that. Right. But my big concern is there was no impact. I'm not talking about even home runs. I don't care about that. I'm talking about just exit velos way down. And you talk about a guy that used is his whole body. That's why I fell in love with the prospect that is Brennan Davis. He came up as a lanky high school kid, all arms, didn't wasn't tapping into power. And then all of a sudden we see him add some muscle, taps into the lower half, lifting the ball more. And now looks like this 30-30 candidate. Doesn't swipe bags enough to really be that, but you know what I mean with the spout, the speed power combination. I'm worried that the impact is, is affected here by, by the back issue, but also he might've been just kind of taking it easy. So not going to draw a huge conclusion. I will sound the alarms post fall league though. If we're seeing this continue in the fall league, I will start to be concerned. Um, But at the end of the day, this is still a top 55 number 54 prospect in baseball, six, four, 220 pounds. If his profile shifts a little bit more to that of a Kyle Lewis, who is okay. Maybe he's not a center fielder, but he can add strength and be more of that corner masher. That works too. I just hope that he gets a chance to really, you know, be the player that we know he can be. And and we know back issues can be a problem. It's 22 years old here with the back issue versus Yelich at 30. So hopefully that's a good thing and not a bad thing of, you know, progressive nagging injuries here. 100%. I have a lot of money invested in his cards. That's not why I'm saying that, though. I told you I'm always going to be transparent about, about the cards. I would not buy any right now. Absolutely not. Uh, <laughs> it's a, you know, it's a back issue. You have no idea. If you want to buy one because you like him and you believe in him and you're a Cubs fan, it's a great time to buy low. But I would not recommend buying, investing in Brennan Davis cards on eBay, though the prices are cheap. Uh, I'm going to just be sitting on mine yeah. um, and, and hoping because that is the most I've ever invested in a prospect. And, of course, that's the prospect that gets a back issue. Uh, yes. But Henry Davis, 53. Another player banged up all year long, man. Um, another player that can really determine a little bit of the direction here that we're and a lot of the momentum that we're going to see is is going to be created going into next year off of what he does in this fall league. Yes, number one overall pick by the Pirates, uh, and I, I don't think anybody even at this point is saying that that was the wrong pick. I think it was a great pick. And I still think it was a great pick because what they were able to do with that whole draft with those savings was incredible. But also I'll take that bat up there with anybody's when he's right. He was not right. Most of the year. I think you have to take all of those numbers for the most part with a grain of salt. If he does not hit in the Arizona fall league again, I am sounding the alarms on this Davis too. questions about the glove. I still do have questions about the glove. I really do. But the bat is so freaking good, I don't really care. He's kind of in the Kevin Parada range uh, in terms of you know what what he's able to do with the bat, but much further along with the glove compared to Parada. Where are you at on Henry Davis after this year? I have no idea. Like <laughs> I, I wasn't able to gather a sound opinion on Henry Davis because he mashed in high A. He went up to double. He sucked for 10 games. He got hurt. He came back, and he was still very clearly hurt. So I guess as simply put as possible – Let's check back after the fall league. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's fair. I mean, you don't need to say anything crazy here. Um, and, and that's where I'm at, too. What I will say is what he did in high A for 22 games. Crazy. Is what crazy. we can what, what we can see from him, like what we can definitely imagine happening here. That's why 
I, I think you really got to take the 31 and double with somewhat of a grain of salt. But even then you say sucked like tough league, 97 WRC plus there with, with uh, he got better after the wrist thing. Yes. And how much have we talked about how much wrist injuries really affect? Yeah. You know, these players, my question is defensively one of the best arms you're going to see behind the dish. I freaking hose, yeah. but really didn't throw guys out at that high of a clip. Didn't get that many chances. Only get, I think 30 something chances. He only threw out four attempted base dealers on 29 tries this year. Uh, I don't know if that's slow pitchers to home plate. You know, obviously there's, there's a lot more that you know, than meets the eye. We'd have to watch every you know stolen base attempt, which I admittedly did not do. I watch a lot of random things and queue up a lot of video, but I did, did not do that. I did see some improvements in the, in the receiving and blocking department. I did. Um, but I mean, what do you think about him as a catcher at this point? I mean, even if he's average defensively or slightly below, the bat is so good, but they've got Andy Rodriguez there now too, who looks really good defensively, but also yeah. can play all over. I could imagine some sort of like timeshare behind the dish with two guys that are capable of playing different positions. They're going to be in the lineup every day. If they continue the way we think they're going to, we're going to get to Andy Rodriguez. I think actually next episode, he will be the last guy just missing the end of this episode. But you imagine I could see a world again. We're talking about like the Dalton Varsho thing where Andy Rodriguez and Henry Davis are splitting time behind the dish. And then when Rodriguez is catching Davis plays first or DH is. And when Davis is catching Rodriguez plays anywhere the hell you want him to play. Uh, Is that kind of what you see too? Yeah. And I guess like to, to correlate it to quarterbacks, um, like this is kind of how I, I view it with Davis and Rodriguez. Um, yeah, and these are gold standard and I'm not, I'm not, you know, trying to draw any comparisons talent wise, but it's, it's a Josh Allen, Tom Brady thing where they are the top two quarterbacks in the NFL. They have wildly different throwing mechanics, right? Allen has the strongest arm in the league. He gears up and lets it ride 60 yards downfield. Brady does not have that arm, but he's so quick on his reads yeah. and he's so quick in the throwing motion. Um, Henry Davis has, again, like you're saying, one of the best arms behind the plate in all of minor league baseball. But if it takes you a million years to get it out, it doesn't matter if you throw the ball 96 miles an hour to second pace. Yeah. So he's got to uh, adapt some of that Brady type release to find the best of both worlds. I think he's got room that, you know, he needs to grow defensively in order to let that arm truly work to the best of its ability. I agree. If you could put Andy and Henry Davis together defensively, uh, I think you'd have perfect. You know, be better to be, you'd have a perfect catcher because Andy is much more fundamentally sound, a good athlete who fluid, so fluid. And, and the arm is not off the charts, but accurate. Do you know what he did in double A in 21 games uh, in terms of limiting the running game, Jack? Uh, Andy, Davis Ro- Andy Rodriguez, this is. We're talking about we're not even talking about Andy on this episode. And here we are talking about Andy. That's how good he was. Yes. Uh, Just because I want to put it in perspective here. What do you do? 22 stolen base attempts and he cut down 10. Oh my gosh. That's incredible. So yeah. Davis, obviously not there again. It could be a circumstance thing, but again, we're talking about double a here. That was Andy with working with you'd assume the same pitchers for the most part. Yeah. I, I would like to see Davis improve in that regard. I think there's definitely, uh, it's a, probably a coin flip as to whether he sticks behind the dish consistently, but I think he's good enough as is to where you're going to have him, still playing behind the dish when you need him to. And it just depends on who your other catcher is. Having Andy there will make it interesting. It's all about the bat. And I think this bat could be 30 home runs 
and a pretty solid batting average. I do believe in the bat to ball skills for him on an orthodox swing, but it just works. Yeah. Here's a guy you've seen plenty of, right? I mean, you've seen a good amount of this guy through your years for George like Valera four years. Yeah. George Valera at 52. He's just still a tough guy to peg. And I bet after watching this dude for four years, you probably still don't know totally where to peg him. Cleveland Guardians outfield prospect. We throw him at 52 here. It's all about the bat with George Valera. We know that, right? I mean, one of the sweetest left-handed strokes you're going to see, but it's a pretty weird swing. He starts so stacked on his left side or on his backside, excuse me. He, his hands are loud. It's, it's a barrel tip, but he repeats it well. He loads it all up and it works well enough. He has the ability to be a very, very exciting offensive piece here. Uh, But there's a lot of whiff. There is a lot of whiff. He hedges that with a ton of patience, a good approach and a good amount of just slugging on contact where are you at this point on George Flair? He was one of the toughest guys for me to figure out exactly where to where to stack him up here. Quantify it for me, please. Um, do you have his zone contact numbers in front of you? I, I know him off the top of my head. I'm going to pull it up just to make sure it's correct. I believe he's in the 75 to 76 percent range in zone contact. Yeah, I was noticing a ton of zone whiff, um, especially when I saw him in triple this year. Um, I 70, 73.4% zone contact, okay, which is below average. Yeah. Right. Oh, well, well, below. well below average. So yeah, like that's the thing. I didn't notice it really at all last year in high a, because he ran rough shot over high a pitching, but this year in triple a, I noticed like so many guys with low nineties fastballs, if they were belt higher above, I mean, he was swinging well underneath it. He's going to be a low ball masher. My yep. question is, can he catch up to the high fastball? And, and you can see that very clearly with your naked eye. I think there are fans that if you turn on MILB TV and you watch a string of three or four George Valera at bats in a night, you can walk away from that convinced saying this guy will hammer pitches knee high, even breaking balls because of how oh, yeah. how hard and how beautiful the swing is but he's going to struggle with stuff upstairs, especially fastballs upstairs. Um, and, and do the numbers back that up? Uh, they do. Uh, and it's kind of that, it's funny, it's that Francisco Alvarez level of of whiff at the top of the zone. But the difference is Valera doesn't chase it as much. So yeah. that's the one thing that's encouraging. You know, he has definitely been better at limiting the chase on those high fastballs. And we've talked about it enough. You can have holes in your swing when you are a power guy that and still be a very productive player. You don't even have to be Joey Gallo, right? Like you can be a guy that still hits 250, 260 when you avoid swinging at those pitches, dare the pitcher to locate a fastball at the top of the zone for a strike and and just acknowledge that that's your blue zone, you know? And and I think that's something that Valera has shown flashes of doing, but then when he's going wrong, he's chasing those pitches more and more and more and I think he's naturally going to be an extremely streaky hitter. Uh he's naturally going to be a guy that hits a ton of home runs, especially to his pull side. What amazes me the most with Valera is I watched him hit some backside home runs, you know, the other way, like just bat flip, pimped it off, like down the other foul line. And I'm like, dude, this guy knows off of his bat that it's gone oppo like that. Like that just shows you the feel that he has to lift. He knows what kind of power he has. I think he's going to find a way to be productive, but it's hard to dream on a huge ceiling here when you have that kind of whiff. I mean, I'd, I'd, venture to say of all the prospects in this top 100 list, I don't know if anybody else really has a zone contact rate below 
No, um, I, I think this is the type of guy that that the pendulum could swing very drastically in either way. He could be, you know, a superstar with 40 homers, or he could be a guy that's super frustrating and gets blown up at the top of the zone constantly. Correct. It does help that he doesn't chase. And that's the last thing I'll say in Valera. 19% chase rate. You see that kind of manifest itself through the walk rates, but he used to walk like 20% of the time in high A. It's not going to happen against more advanced pitching. Still no. walked at a very healthy clip, 12% in triple A. But if you're tr- striking out 25, 26%, you better hope it sticks right there at the big league level. And if it gets up to 33, 34% and you're walking at a 12% clip, a lot of pressure on the bat to consistently produce power. And then that's where you start expanding. And then it becomes just this, this, you know, endless cycle of just digging yourself a hole. So it'll be interesting to, to follow. But what I will say about Valera, 21 years old, and we talk about, you know, giving these guys the benefit of the doubt when they're producing as 21 year olds in the upper minors. Valera has a lot of time to figure this whole thing out. There's no rush. He could repeat AAA next year and continue to get better and better and better and try to shorten up that swing a little bit. Yeah. 51. Ken Waldachuk. He entered this season at 100. And that this is one of the dudes that I think uh, – Oakland A's, by the way. One of the dudes yeah. that I think <laughs> I got – the most like, wait, you threw him in the top 100 uh, when he was on the Yankees. And I've just always liked Waldachuk. And he pitched his way into becoming one of the main pieces, arguably the centerpiece, and the Frankie Montes deal. Southpaw throws super funky, very hard to pick up. Fastball is nasty. Slider is really good. Changeup, though in a vacuum, is an above-average pitch, plays up to borderline plus because of the way it works off of his fastball and his ability to tunnel. Walter Chuck, he's shown flashes at the at the big league level now of looking like a really, really good pitcher. Uh, he's also you know struggled with command issues through his minor league career and even in the early parts of his big league career. But I think Walter Chuck screams. This is I've given a few left funky lefties, Gasser, kind of that Trevor Rogers comp, but I think Walter Chuck was the first guy I ever gave that, that funky ability to, you know, repeat your arm slot, make it difficult to separate the fastball and the change up. And a big reverse splits guy as a result. But now the improvement of the slider has made him really safe as a sticking rotation guy for me. Yeah, I, I and I think that the biggest thing that Walter Chuck did this year was the slider. Um, and I don't think it's particularly close because I, I think that he can still survive with the fastball slider, even if the changeup isn't necessarily working off of the fastball. Um, he ran into some rough outings with Oakland yes. at the end of this year. And I, I think he's ready for the major league level. I think he's the oldest guy on this top 100 list. He's got to be. <laughs> he's got to be. Yeah. So, like, if he's the oldest guy on this top 100 list, you know that, like, it's time for him to be in the bigs. I think he's 25 years old right now. Yeah. Um, you know, it, it's time. Like, he's going to be in the Oakland A's rotation for the entirety of next year. I think that he will be much, much better than the 618 ERA he put up in six starts with Oakland. His FIP checked in at about four and a half. I would say there's, there's, this is where I buy the peripherals as much as anyone. Cause you look at like the walks and, and a lot of the things he's done. I, I, I do buy what we're seeing in the peripherals. Yeah. So yeah, four, six, six FIP. I think we could look at like a four and a half ERA for Waldachuk next year and like his true rookie season. And then keep building off of that, which and is why he's built. a top owner. I think we, we see, High threes, ERA guy when he gets you know settled in. He's with, a major league starter. With plenty of strikeouts who will show flashes of looking like a number three or a number two guy when it's really on. And I think he just did that in his last start. See what yeah. he did to the, the Seattle Mariners? Yeah, five he innings in Seattle, three hits, one run, two walks, eight Ks. Yeah, he carved. Like that, and that's against a playoff team. 
So it, we know what he's capable of. It's about the consistency. What I like is the built-in deception, I think, gives him a higher floor. The fastball gives him a really high floor. He can lean on that pitch 60% of the time and I think dominate guys. And then he also is able to mix in that change-up slider, steal some strikes with a curveball. Waldachuk's going to be a really solid big league starter for, for a long time and uh, a safe bet, but command's going to kind of dictate a ceiling. Get to Max Meyer at number 50, Jack. And I'm excited for you to talk about him more than I'm excited to talk about him. Uh, Marlins right-handed pitching prospect finally got called up this year. I know Marlins fans were pounding on the table for this to happen. And unfortunately, uh, shortly after he gets promoted, goes down with Tommy John surgery. This was a concern given how, you know, well, anybody that throws hard and, and any pitcher really is, is a concern for Tommy John surgery, but he throws a lot of sliders. Uh, and, you know, generally speaking that, you know, makes you maybe a little bit more susceptible, but I'm kind of glad he got it out of the way now because this is somebody that, you know, he's going to throw a lot of sliders and he's going to dominate guys with sliders. I, like, I, I really think Lance McCullers is the, the fair comp of how much he can lean on the breaking ball and still be able to get out. Like he could throw it 60 times in one start and he will still get out. That's how good the slider is. I have a 70 present 80 future on it. Fastball is just rough though. Like it, it is the weirdest fastball I think I've ever seen. It might be so dead zone though, that he might be able to get away with it. Like it just drops straight down. Um, change up was vastly improved this year. And I think that was a big X factor. That pitch started to flash much more above average command looks really good, but I don't know. Where, where are you at on Max Meyer? Because I've been talking about this guy for like four years now since the Marlins drafted him third overall. Not four years, actually. He was drafted third overall in 2020, but I feel like I've been talking about him forever. Yeah, so uh, <laughs> like I'm nowhere on Meyer in 2023 because he won't pitch in 2023. He might you know, pull the glass now and come back at the tail end of the year, but he got hurt a little bit later on than when glass now got hurt. So mm-hmm. he's likely not to throw it all next year. 2024, I think he's a guy that uh, we'll need a couple more starts in, in AAA, a la what happened with Edward Cabrera. Um, you know, that's a guy that major league ready, got hurt, needed some more starts, like broke camp with AAA. Um, Meyer, I thought going into the year that he was cut from the Javier cloth, but I think you're right. He's more cut from the Lance cloth where the fastball's not good. Um, I thought the fastball was a lot better than it was. And I thought Me he too. could be a two-pitch guy and he could thrive as a starter with a two pit, which two pitches. Um, now it seems like he's going to thrive as a starter with one pitch and he's going to use a fastball as a taste breaker from the slider. And that's terrifying because if the slider's not on, then he's going to get blown up. Um, I think my confidence level drops in Max Meyer if the fastball is as sucky as you're telling me it is. <laughs> well, I sent you the data on the fastball. Yeah, it's not good. It's not good. It's, and you can you can see, I mean, that's publicly accessible, even from his limited starts. You can go see, you know, the, the Savant data on his fastball. It, it's dead zone 101. Um, and, <laughs> you know, that's what not to do when throwing a fastball? Him. <laughs> which is crazy because, it, but I was I was actually reading a Fangraphs piece on it. It was excellently written. And, and I, I'm, I'm, again, very upset that I don't remember who wrote it, but if you literally search Max Meyer fan graphs, like fastball, it'll come up. Um, they, they were saying that it's almost so weird that there's not really a comparison. It's not your traditional dead zone because it doesn't have as much of the horizontal break. So it almost gyro drops a little bit. So if he's able to use it more as a ground ball pitch and not try to buzz guys up in the zone, it might be more effective. Here's my problem. Slider 
plays down in the zone. Changeup plays down in the zone. Fastball would then play down in the zone. Hitters are looking bottom third of the zone, and that's it. Guys will be able to hit him better. I will say, though, the fastball ticked up a mile per hour this year, which was huge. <laughs> and this, this sounds really, really depressing. But 287, 368, 436 slash on against his fastball this year. It's an 804 OPS. What if I told you that's vastly better than last year? <laughs> it was Justin Choi that wrote it. Okay. Thank you for that. Yeah. Got Do it. you want it? Great job on that, by the way, Justin. Do you want to know what opponents hit on his fastball last year before we move on? Last year, this was between double and triple. Yes. Or, well, no, where was he last year? Last year he was, yeah, double and triple last year, but mostly double. Uh, I told you it was vastly improved from yeah. last year. Did they hit 300? Oh, they were, they were, they were Matt Olson last year, really. 348, 437, 530 against his fastball. Oh, my year. God. So when you see the like Keith Laws of the world that were leaving him off, and you know, a lot of us were probably scratching our heads. I- I'm sure somebody clued, you know, Keith Law into this data and he said, No, that's too big of a red flag for me. I can understand that. My pushback would be the slider is an 80 grade pitch. And if you have an 80 grade slider and a fastball that look, it, it's it's dead zone, but it got better. It ticked up a mile per hour and his command of it got better. Change up feel improves. It's still a top 100 prospect and still a guy that I think could be a middle rotation starter that just goes super heavy with the slider and manipulates it. Right. And, and uses it almost as two different pitches. Yeah. hundred percent, man. Um, no, when you have the best slider in minor league baseball, I think uh, it, it's hard for you not to be a top 100 guy. That said, look, I'm making him expendable if I'm the Marlins. I know you're selling low, quote-unquote, on Tommy John. I don't really think you are in today's game as much anymore. We're seeing guys off of Tommy John go very early in the draft. Yeah, For the right move, I'd consider it. Rockies prospect, and a good one, and I know one that you really like, Drew Romo. Another guy that says middle finger to the high school catcher curse and has just been phenomenal. Drew Romo, switching and catching prospect with the Rockies, has had a really, really nice season yet again. Defensively, no questions. Legitimately none. Zippo. Everybody loves what he does with the glove and between the ears in terms of his just ability to command the game, work with the staff. He is one of the more highly regarded catchers in that department. Offense did slow down after a really hot start this year, and I do have questions about just the overall impact. He does not hit the ball hard at all. He does have great bat-to-ball skills. And again, we're talking about a guy in cores, which he's not going to have a lot of power, but he'll be able to at least, I think, hit for average power. The bat-to-ball is the most impressive part. If we're talking about a Jose Iglesias, but a catcher who is great at catching and a switch hitter, like that's fine. So I think you can't sleep on what he's doing already with the glove. He just turned 21 years old. He's a switch hitter. There's still room for some more physical projection, but yeah, he just does not hit the ball very hard at this point. There's just something that draws me to catchers that don't hit like catchers. Yeah. And Drew Romo's a catcher that doesn't hit like a catcher. Much like Harry Ford, like Ford doesn't hit like a catcher. Uh, I don't really think Andy Rodriguez hits like a catcher. Um, and How Romo's refreshing is it that we don't have to say, oh, he might end up like Mike Zanino if he doesn't hit enough? Dude, I... I said that about yeah. every freaking catcher, every single one. Every single one. It's just like, oh, yeah, like they're built like a tank. And, you know, they strike out a lot, but they, they hit the ball really hard. And it's... Like, I don't like doing that. I, I no. like watching 
better hitters. And yeah. Drew Romo is a guy that is just a better hitter. And and the sub 700 OPS is worrisome in large part because he couldn't slug. Like you're saying, he doesn't hit the ball hard. But what you can rely on is him striking out at a less than 20% clip. Oh, yeah. Um, and him being a very good defensive catcher. And, and I can promise you the strikeouts will improve. Yeah. Um, I, I agree with everything. You can rely on it. We're talking about a high floor high school catcher. It's, that sounds crazy. But 87% zone contact, switch hitter. He's going to hit for some more power. He's going he's gonna to grow into at least a little bit more power. He's 6'1". He's got some room to add a little bit of muscle. But the biggest thing, the glove. Can't hear enough but good things about his glove and the way he's able to move, block, receive, throws out runners. That's the one part of his game that could probably get a little bit better. But I think he think he's above average to plus defensive catcher. And you talk about the stick for the position, still should be an above average stick at the position at the big league level. Uh, if he continues on the trajectory, we think he is. If I were to project um, Rockies telecast watched by year, for me this year, I watched about Thirty to thirty-five Rockies games in earnest, like that was primary viewing. Thirty to thirty-five next year is going to be fifty. Year after that, probably going to be seventy. Year after that, they might. Be you and I are splitting season tickets the year after that. I think so. Yeah. <laughs> when Amador, Tovar, and and Romo's, I think we're splitting season tickets. And Jaden yeah, and warming Bernabel. Don't forget warming. Oh, Bernabelle. warming. Yeah, I love warming. <laughs> all right, forty-eight. Brooks Lee. Uh, Another switch hitter. Look at all these switch hitters, man. Pretty awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Shortstop prospect, Minnesota Twins. No freaking clue how he fell to the Minnesota Twins. And no freaking clue how the Marlins didn't take him. But that's not why I'm here. <laughs> here to talk about Brooks Lee. Man, was he good at Cal Poly. He was a high school draft prospect at the time. Wanted to play for his father at Cal Poly. Don't blame him. And only further just improved his draft stock there. Mashed, mashed, mashed. Switch hitter. Great field to hit. Above average power. I do wonder if he's, you know, a true, true, true shortstop in terms of like being impactful there. I think he's passable. I think he's, you know, an average defender there. But if you move him to second, he's probably a plus defender there. The bat will play anywhere. Um, I, I really do like the swing from both sides. Talk about bat to ball skills combined with the power, combined with the track record of hitting, combined with the fact that in 25 games in high A this year, Right after the draft, he hit four home runs and, and hit 289, 395, 454 with a 16% strikeout rate and a 14% walk rate. Yeah, This guy's going to climb so quick. Yes, he is. Um, this was one of the guys that we were hung up on, I think, when, when we were stacking, um, like actually doing the ranking, like where does Brooks Lee fall? And I think you and I both were in the process of like, how high can we push him? And we wanted him to be in the late 20s, early 30s, but we had to drop to 48 because, again, the talent level in minor league baseball right now is through the roof. Yeah. And with with how good we think Brooks Lee is, uh, he's only been in minor league baseball for about a month. So yeah. w when he has an amazing year next year and he finishes with St. Paul next year, um, he's going to be a top 25 prospect. No, absolutely. And I think there's a little bit of like, you know, how much power is there? Uh, how much power is going to be there? Um, I think you can you can look at 20 to 25 home runs, hopefully. But, you know, I, I think we need a little bit more of a professional sample only, size. Yeah. The only way you can tell is by watching minor league baseball. So we need a little bit more time. But this is pretty high to push a guy that wasn't a 
top three, four or five pick. Right. Yeah. Um, and, and that speaks volumes, I think, to, to where we're at on Brooks and how excited we are about him. Talk about a guy that was recently drafted, Elijah Green at 47. We can only say so much about this guy, too. But this was somebody that when you just look at what he's what he's capable of physically, uh, when you look at the, the athletic bloodlines, you look at just w- what he could turn into. There's too much to dream on to not have him in the top 50. Fifth overall pick, Washington Nationals this past year. I love watching this guy swing the bat. I think his swing is much more simple than people give him credit for. He's pretty physically maxed out, which is fine because he already has plus raw power. Um, He's, you know, trying to learn to tap into that consistently in games. Dad was an NFL tight end. It's very obvious when you see Elijah green, I was reading some, you know, Jim Callis, right? I love, I love when Jim Callis writes up prospects because he contextualizes it with history and he basically was like, I don't know if we've ever seen a guy this physically imposing as a high schooler uh, in the draft. And, you know, that really resonated with me because I'm watching this guy and I'm like, yeah, wait, who, who, who has ever looked like this out of the draft? And um, I, I, the reason why I'm high on him is I think there is with concern, but the bat is further along than I thought it would be. And that's what puts him in the top 50. Yeah, I think the reason I'm so high is – you mentioned the simplicity to the swing. It's it's point A to point B. And when you're built like that, and when all you're going to do, it's obvious that he's already an animal in the weight room. He's, he's picked up on those habits. Um, if you are going to continue to be an animal in the weight room and you already look like that, the the simpler the swing, the better you will fare. And, and the swing is already so simple. Like he doesn't need to change much. He can just, I don't think he needs to use his legs or his hips. He can just go like that. <laughs> With, he can with Buxton that, you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, Buxton starts so pre-coiled and really yeah. just lets it go. Like he could do that. Yeah, yeah you're he right. Can absolutely do that. Um, yeah, I mean, he just looks like one of those dudes where um, you see the recruiting visits that like Bama D linemen go on, yeah. and you're like, well, you're 14. Yeah, fuck no, no you aren't. He's literally yeah. that. He's literally that's that. Elijah that's Green. Great. Yeah, they they. Sh- post the picture, like throwing the pads on and throwing the Jersey on. And you're like, Oh, that's a junior. Right. And like, no, he, he's on a visit. Um, he's no, 100% he's like that. <laughs> already right. popped a one Oh seven this year. And it was oppo. Yeah. I mean, he's built like a tank. So we're, we're, we're winding down here. I know this episode is going to be right on track with all the other ones at an hour 20, basically. <laughs> um, and the next 20 minutes, we're going to just finish at 46 probably because Zach Fiend's up at 46. And you're going to gush about him, I, I'm, I'm assuming, right? Um, Zach Veen, Colorado Rockies again. It's Rocky season in this episode. It's it's Rocktober. Makes sense. Uh, yeah. Zach Veen does fall, though. I, I think it's worth acknowledging here that this is a fall from where he was before. We are not sounding the alarms on Zach Veen. Guess what? Same thing, though. If he struggles in the fall league, I might start getting a little bit concerned. Him much less than other guys, though, in terms of sounding the alarm. High school guy, 6'4", 190, tooled the heck out. He's just trying to figure out how to consistently hit against more advanced competition. It'll be interesting to see how he can continue to develop in that regard. If you poured all of your assets into Brennan Davis cards, um, I'm not much of a card buyer, but if I, if I were to empty my checking, empty my savings and put it all into the entire card catalog of one player, it probably would have been Zach Veen in, in April or May. And now you're Um, not. I don't know. Like I, I still think that his ceiling is MVP perennial MVP. 
<laughs> best player in baseball when Trout's done. Like that's, I genuinely believe that playing at Coors Field, he could put up numbers that we've never seen. And um, I mean, acknowledging how possible that is, you know, in terms of like the fact, not how possible, the fact that it is remotely possible is probably, you know, a testament to 46, maybe being a bit low, low for him. My thing is, you know, I, the more we see the swing and miss concern, the more of a, a distant dream that becomes for me. I still yeah. think he can be a perennial all-star, but we're talking about like to get to that point, to be that, that superstar, like the, no, the margin for error, you, you can almost never fail to be that MVP candidate. Right. I think he's going to always have whiff in his game. He's going to be so talented and have that elite, elite, elite talent. He'll get away with it enough, but to be that MVP candidate, you got to be able to blend the the hit tool and the power and the speed. And the other thing that held me back a little bit, Jack, was the exit velos just weren't quite where I thought they would be, especially when we're talking about the whiff that he has in his game. I was hoping to see a little bit more raw pop. It's not all there yet. It, it could be soon. But, you know, we're still kind of waiting for him to consistently tap into that. He's thin. Um, I think, you know, let him kind of finish puberty. What is he, 21 years old right now? I believe so. Yeah, I mean, no, 20, 20 years old, 20 years old. OK, as a 23 year old, like if you were to dream down the road, everybody's age 27, 28 season. Is there a guy on this top 100 more likely to go 50, 50 than Zach Veen? <laughs> OK, you got to relax. 40, <laughs> 40. Yeah, I, I think the stolen base is like he, he had what, 50, 50 on 54 tries in high A. He had five on 10 tries in double in 34 games. Fuck. Okay. 40, 40. <laughs> like he's definitely got a 40, 40 shot. A hundred percent. I'm just um, saying like he, he can put up video game numbers that nobody else on, on this top one. I agree. And look, this is one where we look back and we're like, wow, arm, you, you, you sunk him way too quick. And look, he said 46, still very high top 50 prospect. Very exciting. But the whiff rates combined with, you know, the, the, I mean, one home run in 20 games. I know Hartford's a hard place to hit, but 177, 262, 234 slash line. I know he's 20 years old there, but, you know, look at what Tovar did there. Look at what some of the other younger, young guys that are elite, elite prospects did in double A as 20 year olds. Even Jordan Lawler, you know, held his own more in double A. It is worth monitoring that. And that's what kind of had him fall. But I will admit that, like, this is one that could be like one of the laughable ones where like RM dropped in the 46 and this guy, you know, is an MVP candidate. He has as much upside as anybody you're going to find in this range. And I agree with that need to see more consistent contact and please fill out and tap into a little bit more raw power. Yeah. hundred percent. Get to 45. And this, this guy's one of my favorite pitching prospects because he is just automatic quality start. Don't care where I'm pitching. Brandon fought. He doesn't care if he's on the moon. He doesn't care if he's in the PCL. He turns out innings. He struck out 200 this season. Only got to strike out 200 in how long? I mean, a really, really long time. Um, pitched in a brutal environment and got out because he throws strikes. He mixes in four pitches. His fastball is good. His sliders plus his changeups above average, his curveballs average, and his command is plus with room for more. There's so much to like, and he's six, four, two, 10. This guy's going to be an innings eater at the big league level, middle rotation, 200 inning guy, I think for a very long time. So I'm, I'm, just kind of like rolling through the year by years, the strikeout leaders. Uh, Cavalli was at 175. Again, Fott was at 218 this year. In 2019, let's see, we're loading here. 
Chris Bubich had 185. So we're looking at at least since 2018 as I continue to roll here. Um, I'll, I'll keep on looking. Dean Kramer at 178 in 2018. What I love about Fod is he can rely on four pitches right now, and they're all good. Yeah, and I honestly, I kind of want to just like toot my own horn on this one just because I was <laughs> excited about this line. You ever just drop a bar and you're like, yeah, I really liked this bar? Yes. Um, I said he might not have the kind of stuff that will frequent him on pitching ninja, but he has above average stuff that will play up thanks to his elite command and overall field of pitch. The reason why I'm, I'm I'll never read my own write ups in here, but the reason why is I think that sums him up as well as I possibly can. Um, the stuff is above average across the board. It's like those prospects we we're talking about hitting wise that are like 50s to 55s across the board, and you're like, this guy's so solid, and then it gets the most out of his stuff. Uh, that, that's what Fott does. Fastball, though, is close to plus. It's 93 to 95 with good movement, and it's ticked up since last year. Slider, lands a first strike 72% of the time, and that's his best pitch. Love to hear that. I, this We talk about safety. If, if you could sprinkle some money on a guy to win rookie of the year, like would you not bread it on Fott? Because you just know he's going to be in the conversation by the end of the year, right? Like You just know he's going to weather the storm and, and be able to just churn out a lot of quality innings. Would you agree with that? Is Fott not George Kirby of this year? He, that's a great year? point. It's a great point, actually. You know, what he lacks in the velo department, he makes up for with four pitches that Kirby didn't have. I, like, you know what I'm saying? So I, I think that is a very fair comp in terms of just the safety uh, with, with the safety of just being able to translate kind of quickly. Obviously not yep. near with ceiling, but I, I do like that. So the last time that somebody punched out uh, 200 plus guys in a minor league season, there were three of them in 2011. Trevor May as a starter, oh. Matt Moore, and Edouard Cabrera, not Edward. <laughs> I've no, you, you got, you stopped me on the last. I've never heard of Edouard Cabrera. I've never heard of Edouard either. Uh, as we know, Matt yeah. Moore, one of the most highly regarded pitching prospects in a long time at that time. Yeah. Uh, yeah. 2011, uh, 13 starts in high A, 13 starts in low A for Edouard Cabrera. Oh, not even strikeouts. Call me he, when he does it in the PCL. He made it in 2012 with Colorado. No, oh, good for him. Brutal. 44. <laughs> another another Jack McMullen guy. Bo Naylor. Yeah. I'll set the scene as quick as I can, and then I'll just toss it to you. Ridiculous season. Numbers speak for themselves in AAA for the Cleveland Guardians. Catching is improved. Offense drastically improved. That's another write-up I would love for you to, if someone to specifically take the time and read, is this one. Because the guy just made huge adjustments in the box. Added more of a leg kick, which is rare to see after a guy has a bad year. But it allowed him to get into his backside and stay there. He's such an athletic hitter. He repeats the leg kick really well. Controls his lower half really well. Uses the whole field and I love the new moves. He starts more stacked on his backside, and it works for him like a lot of other big, strong dudes have made that adjustment. Sold on what we've seen offensively. Good approach. Power's there. Bat to ball's there now. He is just all around a great hitter, and the defense has gotten better. This is one of the biggest risers in minor league baseball this season. So it's so funny. If, if Josh Naylor is built like an NBA power forward, Bo Naylor is built like a two guard. Um, it's it's so funny. Like, Take Josh Naylor, but make him a really good athlete. And it's yeah. his younger brother. Um, and, People sleep on the athleticism for sure. 
Yeah, I mean, he is a really, really good athlete. And I think that he's kind of fitting that modern mold that we talk about with the Romo and a Harry Ford, granted with more power uh, and a little bit more swing and miss and less, you know, of a stolen base threat, obviously. But he's still a 50 runner. You have him as a 50 runner. He swiped 20 bags on 24 tries this year. Yeah, I mean, dude, my thing about Bo is he feels like the answer behind the dish for Cleveland. And last year, even at the beginning of this year, you were, you know, wondering who the answer was going to be. And, you know, we were talking Sean Murphy at the deadline. We said, oh, Murphy makes a ton of sense. Wilson Contreras ended up making more sense as a rental. And I think Cleveland was saying, you know what? We're just going to hold Pat. Like we're not going to move many prospects because we think that we've got that guy with no concerns. And I think Bo Naylor is going to be the opening day catcher for the Cleveland Guardians next year. I, I agree. It's so funny you bring that up, dude. I saw an old YouTube comment on us talking Cleveland Guardian system and ripping them early in the year for not making that big trade and 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 not going to get a Sean Murphy or whatever. And someone was like, this aged terribly. Some laughable moments in the beginning. And I watched it. I was like, oh, my God, it did. Yeah, it did. hundred percent. It did. Uh, Bo Naylor, they knew what they had here, I think. They were really excited about what they were seeing. They were bought into the adjustments. And uh, why deplete the farm system when I think – you have a very high chance of translating this this player here into an above average catcher at the big league level with athleticism that you know you could play all over too. And when and I love this futuristic catcher, like you said, and he fits the mold just as well as anybody else does. The floor of Bo Naylor is better than the tandem of Austin Hedges and Luke Maley. Promise. Oh um, yeah. No, I mean Bo also hits the shit out of the ball. Like there were some bombs that he hit against Indy this year, and. He's just a tough AB, man. Like, all these guys are tough ABs, and they all look the exact same. Um, Valera, stacked on his back leg. Jan Kensi Noel, stacked on his back leg. Arias, stacked on his back leg. These are all power guys that, that get into it more consistently because of that. Because they're, they're so – they eliminate that, that move back. And Naylor, with the swing adjustments, has eliminated that move back, and he's just become, all right, kick and go. Yeah. And I, I think the kick and go is playing into his athleticism really well. I'll, I'll read you to, to support your point here before we move on to the next guy. This was the part of the write-up on the offensive side of things. Getting his lower half more incorporated has helped Naylor hit the ball with more authority more consistently, seeing his 90th percentile exit velo jump by three miles per hour. More importantly, Naylor's improved ability to replicate his swing has helped him improve his zone contact by 8%. 8% zone contact jump is unheard of, plus the exit velo jump. What else do you want to see? Like, that that's everything you could dream of. I'm, I'm not asking you uh, breakout, because there were other guys that, like, came out of nowhere this minor league season, like a Moises like Gomez, right? Minor league Moises home Gomez, Gomez even Andy Rodriguez, relative to what he was before yeah. as a prospect. Even Andy. So I'm not asking you breakout. I'm asking you most improved. And Bo yes. Naylor makes the argument for most improved prospect in minor league. What did he hit a buck eighty last year? I, I think you're one hundred percent right. With the defensive improvements behind the dish, I think he's the most improved prospect in baseball. I agree with that. I'm wow. with you. All right, we got what three more? <laughs> this is the longest episode yet. I think Robert Hassel, the third. Arizona Fall League, another guy that I'm very much watching closely in the Arizona Fall League. Friend of the show, awesome guy, hard worker, smart player. He did fall because of kind of similar reasons to Veen, but obviously a different prospect. Hassel really struggled after the trade, even in his 10 games in high A and then the bump up to double A. 
showed some signs of life, but it, here's the problem for me, Jack. And this is where I got concerned. Look, I have no questions about the glove and center. I love the speed. I love, I love the intangibles. I, I love his approach to the game. I think he's a great kid that really knows, you know, really knows himself as a player. Here's the thing. We were hoping that he'd develop into more power. He might not now. You know, he might be more focused on, you know, just just being that well-rounded speedster that, you know, can hit 10 to 15, maybe 20 home runs when he fully, fully, you know, matures physically. That puts more pressure on the hit tool, which is okay if you hit. He was hitting well in high A with the Padres, 299 batting average, 380 on base, striking out less than 20% of the time. Then I'm okay if you're not impacting the baseball that much. But if you're going to hit 222, 311, 296, I know it's double A and he was young. I'm going to be a little bit more concerned, right? If the power is not shining through, if it's if you're not tapping into that power consistently, I need to see a, a borderline plus hit tool. I have a future plus hit tool on him, but there was more swing and miss than I, than I thought there would be, you know, even at the double A level. I, I know it's a big jump, but I'm not asking him to, to go off. I'm just asking him not to whiff as much. Yeah, I, I think the big question is, is he a leadoff hitter or is he a two hitter? And I think he's actually a better prospect if he's a two hitter, because I, I view two hitters with a little bit more pop. Um, and I think that, you know, he can be a bit more of a run producer in the two hole. Now I, I lean towards him being a leadoff guy, which, you know, a leadoff guy can only be so high. And, well, and, and that's the thing is I'm cool with that. If you're going to spray the ball like Bryce Turing, right? But we're talking about somebody here that after he got the bump up, he whiffed a lot, man. He got, yeah. he looked lost. We're talking, we're talking 75% zone contact for somebody that needs to be 88% zone contact, 87% zone contact, or hitting for way more power. Yeah. The, the batted ball profile, extremely concerning. That said, 21 years old, plenty of time, needs to shore up that lower half, really needs to. He is experimented, he's athletic, and he can get away with some stuff, but he really needs to shore up that lower half. Staying power and center, you've talked about that in the past. Approach is he good. Stays. He can just, stay. just needs to figure out exactly who he is as a hitter and find more consistency with his body control. I think he'll get there with his athleticism, but uh, just just not quite as quick of a riser as we thought he would be, both in the rankings and you know in the minor league department. Yeah. 42. The opposite. The fastest riser, I think. We, we could never have imagined, I don't think, Mason Wynn to climb this fast. Shortstop prospect in the St. Louis Cardinals organization. We've talked about this guy a ton. Uh, 20 years old. Really just had as, as good of a year as you can ask for anybody. Uh, given his age, given what, how quickly he climbed, given the glove, given what the bat started to do in double A. Uh, this kid is special. Plus, plus runner. He has a great field to hit. Triple digits arm from shortstop. We know he was a two-way prospect, but now just focused on, on you know hitting. It could be an elite defender at short with above average power and above average field to hit and plus plus speed. Sign me up for that. I think he's just going to be everybody's favorite player when he makes his major league debut. Yeah. Right. He's, he's the fanfare that O'Neill Cruz got. Yeah. In a with different like the, way. Like, yeah. In a let, different way. In a more, in a more like repeatable sustainable way. way. Yeah. Sustainable <laughs> way. Right. Like you're going to see him make those crazy throws all the time. Um, yeah. You're not going to see the 490 foot homers, but you're going to see crazy triple speed. You're going to see, you know, all of this dynamic base stealing ability. I mean, w- what did he steal this year? It was uh, 43 bags on 48 tries between high A and double A <laughs> and in double A 28 for 33. If this guy can run like the wind can make every play imaginable. And then we saw the power tick up after hitting just 
one home run in 33 games in high A, 11 home runs in 86 games in double A. Walked more yeah. too. I mean, the more this guy matures, the more exciting he's going to get. And, and tell you what, man, I, I do think that he's going to be on the on the very short list with, with a guy like O'Neill Cruz, with a guy like Aaron Judge, with a guy like Corbin Carroll uh, for most exciting player to watch in baseball. Yeah, did you see that Carroll triple yesterday? Yeah, dude. The way I he mean, runs around the bases. Wynn's going to be able to do some, some stuff that you marvel like that as well. Five-tool potential with the power probably being fringier, but I think he'll, he'll tap into a 20 home run power with the just twitchiness that he has plus the field to hit. He really does have a great field to hit. He can get away with the higher ground ball rates because he's so freaking fast. Uh, you know, there's a chance. I have 55 future on the hit tool. There's a chance that after I see a little bit more, that could project to work closer to 60. Uh, but, you know, I just need a little bit more time before I can you know, give him a plus hit tool in the, in the future. But yeah. I, I'm not ruling it out. No, I mean, there's a chance. So you've got 55-55 future. Like, th- there is a good chance that he turns into a 60-50 guy, right? Yep. yep. Absolutely. Which, with, with the complimentary tools, forget it. Cool. Um, all right. Well, we're at an hour 20 here, and we've got <laughs> one guy left. So let's go for another hour 20 on Sal Freelick, uh, mm-hmm. who is the GOAT, I think. Uh, probably <laughs> one of the coolest guys we've ever met, and also just such a fun baseball player throwback of all throwback type of players, but with more power. And I've talked about this. He looks like Stephen Kwan with more power. He actually hits the ball hard and people don't realize that he has impact here. Brewers outfield prospect who went nuclear after the first month of the season, 70 hit tool, uh, at least fringe average power, which I think is slightly more. I think there is average power here. Plus plus runner, great defense. This guy, this guy's a guarantee. I will actually I said Tristan Casas, if he doesn't make the, like, isn't a good big leaguer, you punch me in the face. Put Sal Freelick in that department too. If Sal Freelick is not an everyday big leaguer, everyone who listens to this podcast, you see me, punch me in the face. No, I say kick you below the belt. That's fine. With Freelick, that's fine. Cool. All right. Yeah, man. I mean, we, we've already talked about Freelick a lot with the Brewers top 10, with the, the actual conversation with Sal Freelick and just like updating you on, you know, hey, he's sitting 340 and AAA now. Like every day, um, just reminding we, you that he exists. Yeah, we, we talk about him often enough. Let me just say, like, I will. Yeah, you can kick me in the nuts, too, if he's not an everyday big leaguer. <laughs> Last thing I'll say on, on Sal is. Um, again, I want to emphasize the power because we're talking about a guy with a 70 grade hit tool with dynamic speed and ability to play all three outfield spots at a really high level. But what stands out the most for me with Sal is that he actually has hit the ball really hard on a couple. Like there's been several occasions where you're like, whoa, there's more power than people give him credit for. We saw plenty of 106, 107s, uh, a bunch of 105 exit velos this year with his bat to ball skills to hit the ball that hard. His 90th percentile exit velo is already better than Stephen Kwan's was and is. I think Stephen Kwan with more power and I think more speed too. That's really what I think you can get here with Sal Freelick. Sign me up. Give me three of them. And another one where to wrap up, you go on on eBay, Sal Freelick's Bowman Chrome Auto. I got to buy them. I'll be honest. I haven't even bought them yet with how much I talk about this guy. I have not bought them yet. His Bowman Chrome Autos are going up slowly, but they're still – $40, $50, maybe a few that are a little bit more than that. I would scoop those up on eBay as soon as possible because that is a steal. He's going to be a big leaguer in some capacity, and I think a pretty good capacity at that. Jack, it's been an hour and a half. Could have watched a movie. Any final thoughts? Uh, This is better than a movie. It is. I'm having fun. I hope hope you're not dragged along for too long. One to ten, how miserable? For me? Yeah. Like zero. 
Oh, hell yeah. That's great. Thanks yeah, for hanging out with time. me for so long. Yeah, great conversation. Thank you, listener. Sorry, I would never do this in person. I would only do it on stream. Oh, yet. hell no. I got to look at your face for that long. <laughs> listener, thank you for hanging out with us for so long and, and listening to this whole episode, this breakdown. Uh, we got two more episodes going as we go from 40 to 20. One and then 20. No, wait. Yeah, yeah. And then 20 to one. So we got two more episodes here. Very excited to break down the top 40 prospects in baseball. If you have any questions, let us know on the YouTube comments below and I'll get to them. I'll answer any questions you got. Uh, Check out the full write-ups on justbaseball.com. Leave us a rating. Help us grow the show. We'd really appreciate it. As always, thank you for listening. Look forward to talking prospects with you either tomorrow or the day after that. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.